Good morning, everybody. Um, we're going to be jumping right on in, and we're, we're taking a, 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 a one-week hiatus from the book of, of Matthew, and today we are going to be looking at Psalm 5. So if you have your Bibles or on your phones or whatever, go ahead and, and get yourself uh, turned there, and I'm going to be jumping on in uh, real quickly. I'm going to see how I navigate this because don't ask me why, but I'm, I have two sets of my notes up here. So, um, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm tracking with everything that uh, uh, I told Cindy to do with the, with the slides, and yet I have my notes on my other pages. So, Psalm 5 today, uh, it's entitled A Morning Prayer. And um, meaning in the morning time, not the, the attitude, I didn't misspell it, okay? It's not something like, oh, but it very well could be. It very well could be. Um, one of the cool things is at the beginning of Psalms, the book, the compilation of all these different uh, Psalms put together where David has written almost half of them. Not quite half, but almost half of them. And um, in chapter, or, or in Psalm 3, it's talking about the evening. In Psalm 4, the, uh, um, or Psalm 3, the morning. Psalm 4, the evening. Psalm 5, the morning. And Psalm 6, the evening. And for someone like me, I love that. Because when I was younger, uh, I was told and taught that the, probably the only way that you can approach God is to make sure that you're an early riser and you can do your devotions early in the morning. And you know what? It sounds great and, and it is a wonderful thing, but I fail at being an early riser. I'm just, I'm just letting you know. So I was really encouraged when I was reminded that, oh yeah, you know what? Not only can we, can we spend this time in prayer with the Lord early in the morning, but also in the afternoon and also in the evening as David and others write when they're talking about it as they're going to sleep, recalling all that the Lord has done for them. So I want to just make sure that um, I hope I don't say anything uh, stupid, okay? And I've had a lot of people praying for me that, that I wouldn't do that, but still you never know with me, all right? Um, and, and yet, I, I love the fact that this, that this psalm is a morning psalm because it does remind me of how precious it is to be spending time with the Lord in that early morning time. So as we jump on into here, we've got a lot to cover, so I'm just going to uh, just go right into it, and, and I'm going to ask if, if maybe we, uh, we read this uh, psalm, and, and it's broken down. There's only 12 verses, and so, uh, Cindy, if you just follow along with me as I read, it says, uh, to the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David. It says, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. 
You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is, is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Man, I love that. I just I love that. And we're going to jump right on in and I'm going to try to... Uh, uh, highlight for you some of the things that we see in this passage, okay? And so very first off, as, as you know, when I think about a time we're in right now, even though we seem to be on the road to recovery, even though we seem to be closer to getting back to what used to be normal, even though we're getting uh, on our way to that point where it's like, oh man, I can't wait to not be wearing masks or I can't wait to not be social distance or I can't wait for, you know, just to be able to be together with my family. I know people who are still haven't been able to meet with their families yet. And it's been difficult. I was on the phone yesterday for almost two hours talking with someone who's really struggling with discouragement and depression. And yet, I was so glad to know that, that they are committed to, to continually coming before the Lord. They're committed to saying, even though I feel like this, I, I, I know this feeling's not gonna last. And I know that God is who he says he is. And so, folks, that's where I want to kind of look at a morning prayer in difficult times. And so the first thing we're going to see is, is that uh, there's an appeal for God to listen. David wrote this psalm. And so I'm not going to beat around the bush and just say the psalmist or anything like that. David wrote this psalm. We don't know what the circumstances were in his life when he wrote this, but we know that he wrote it, and, and by the wording, we kind of get an idea that things weren't that easy. And so there's an appeal for, for God to listen, and, and you know, one of the points that I, I wanted to bring out on that is, you know, in, in verses one through three, you know, uh, give ear to my words, O Lord, Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you to watch. 
we see this appeal for God to listen. And there's a sense of urgency. Notice in, in verse one, he writes, give ear to my words. Then consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. Now, I put both things up there, the Lord and David, because two things are going on here, and, and you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to explain this or talk about it, but, but what we see in the Psalms, it, it, Hebrew, okay, poetry, is, is there's this parallelism that goes on. And, you know, when we think of poetry, we think of uh, words that rhyme. We think of meter. We, we think of da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? We, we just kind of go that way. You don't do that in Hebrew. It just it doesn't fly. It doesn't work like that. So what do they do is they will do these things in which there's this parallelism. And they parallel things. And, and it kind of crescendos. And if we really had the time, we could see that in so many of these different stanzas just within this one. But I just want to point out to you, you can see right here that the Lord is, there's an urgency. David's saying, hey, Lord, would you give, give me your ear for a second? Right? Can, 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 can I just talk to you? And, and then it kind of goes on. He's like, well, you know what? David's like, well, consider my groanings. It's gone from, hey, can I, just, can I just bend your ear a little bit to, hey, you know what, can you give some consideration to what I'm talking about and what I'm feeling? Now, while at the same time this is happening for the Lord, this is also happening for David. He goes from, hey, you know, can, can you just check, listen to my words? I just, I just need someone to talk to. And now he gets to the point, but consider my groaning. It's a point where he's just like, oh, he doesn't have words. It's size. It's, it's just like, oh, man, it's just groans. Now, if you were around my family or my table, my kids would tell you that dad groans an awful lot. You know, it's like, oh, I can just be sitting and go, oh. You know, and they're just like, oh. you know, you're old. <laughs> I know, you know, but um, sometimes it's just like groans. When we're in pain, we really don't have the words. We're just like, oh, right? And this is where things are progressing with David. And, and then and at the same time, there's a progression that he's, he's trying to portray about God. God, just can you listen to me? Hey, God, can you help me out here? Can you? I'd really like you to pay attention and consider, even if I can't give you words, just consider how I'm feeling. And then it goes to, God, I, I, need, I, I need you to give some attention to something in my life. And for David, that's the sound of his cry. That's not happy noise. David is, is kind of going downhill in a way while he's asking God to kind of step up his focus on David. Does that make sense? And so as we look at this, there, there's this progression in intensity. 
And that's what synonymous parallelism brings about. And so, uh, you know, uh, David's sharing with the Lord that he needs his ear. Can you hear what I say? And he needs his perception. God, can, can, can you relate to what I'm feeling? Because I'm, I'm kind of struggling. And, and finally, he just says he needs his attention, which is basically just to say, God, I'm hurting. I'm really hurting. And I need you. I loved how that song brought us right to this point of this message. Lord, I need you now. There's been many times in my life where because of circumstances, I have cried out in pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, physical pain. God, I am broken. And I need you. Discouragement, disappointment, depression are three realities that many people are trying to cope with today. Some of you in here are probably uh, amongst those. And I'm glad that you're here because this is where we should be able to come to, to God's house with God's people singing songs of worship to God. But not only do, do we see a sense of urgency in here, but we also see a persistence. There's a persistence. And, and I love this because David says it twice in, in, in verse 3. He says, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch Prepare, you know what, the different translations. The New American Standard says uh, order. The, uh, new, um, uh, the Revised Standard Version, it, it says plead. Another version says an offer. And even in the Septuagint, it just says present. This verb basically means to arrange something. And here, it could be words or sacrifice. In, in the ESV, we have it here, uh, I prepare a sacrifice for you. But I think the, the more correct translation, and even in the ESV footnote, they put down there that it gives a possible alternative because it says, I prepare a sacrifice for you with the alternative, I direct my prayer to you. And I think that's more accurate. That's more fitting. That, that kind of fits where we're at. But not only does David uh, direct his prayer to the Lord in the morning, but we also see a third characteristic uh, of this prayer. And, and it's an expectant spirit. An expectant spirit. Um, one word, only one word in that verse, and that's where we see it. It's at the very end of verse 3. It says, and watch, and watch. Uh, other translations add others and say eagerly watch or expectantly watch or wait in expectation. It just denotes this, this expectant waiting for something. 
And so when we see these first three verses and we just go, okay, David's writing with a sense of urgency. He is persistent. And, and he comes right on in there and he has an expectant spirit. I've got to ask, do these characteristics describe your prayers? Do you pray with urgency? How persistent are you in your prayers? Do you wait expectantly for God to do something? Do you expect God to answer your prayers? I've had a number of people, that, they say, yeah, I pray a lot. But they're honest. They say, I, I don't expect God to answer me. It's like, wow. Why? And there's so many different reasons for that. A low self-worth, uh, 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 just a, an inaccurate understanding of, of who God is and what he desires for us. But how's it looking in your prayer life? I mean, there's been all different kinds of seasons in my life, right, where I have felt like, oh, man, I, I, I had a great week this week. I, I said my prayers every morning, and you know what? I wasn't saying them to communicate with the creator of the universe, the one who loves me more than any person possible. I did it so I could cross that off my list. I can check that one off. And I'm, I'm just, I'd be lying to you if I didn't admit that. And I think a, a number of you have, have had those similar experiences where we've gone through the motions, right? And for some, it's been going through the motions so long that you, you can't even remember what it was like before. That zeal, that fire, that passion, that urgency. And so I just want to highlight these things because I need it just like you do. Another thing I, I saw in this, in this psalm was a description of God's characteristics. We see a description of God's characteristics. And we see that in verses 4 through 6. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Well, we see that God, he doesn't delight in wickedness. And no evil dwells within him. Verse 4. Then we get to verse 5. The boastful can't stand before him. He hates all who do iniquity. In other words, evildoers. And he destroys those who speak lies. He destroys liars. In verse 7, he abhors, or uh, another word is, is just despises, bloodthirsty and deceitful men. So instead of focusing on the wicked in these three verses, I chose to focus on the Lord. It's so easy to just be like, oh, yeah. And, and guess what? Quite honestly, probably David's emphasis was more on the enemies. 
That's what contributed to him just kind of like, ah, uh, struggling. I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I've had people in my life that, man, they, they are a downer. They're a discouragement. No matter what I try to do or try to say, um, I, I, I'm doing it wrong in their eyes. Right? I think we've all experienced that. As a youth pastor for so many years, I heard that from students all the time about their parents. They're just like, no matter what I do, I can't seem to please them. I'm always doing it wrong. And so because of that, there'd be a number of students who just said, so guess what? I'm just going to own the fact I'm a screw-up. Why try anymore? Man, that was so hard. So hard to, to hear students get to that point and talk like that. But um, there's definitely a contrast that David I I is showing us. And I just feel it's more important for us to stay focused on God's holiness. And I know some of you uh, might even feel uncomfortable reading that God hates. But I'm going to ask why. I know our, our culture is trying to... Um, water down the gospel and is trying for us to, to only focus on one aspect of God and that's his love. And amen. Amen. That love is strong and it's real and it is a driving force behind everything that God does for us everything that he did for us by giving us Jesus. But um, never water down his holiness. You don't have to only choose love and choose to ignore the rest of God's character. That's not hurting him. That's exalting him. His love for those made in his image in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, causes the opposite reaction when they treat each other in destructive ways. Think about that. We, we, we might find it hard to, to wrestle with it in our heads, but it's very easy for God to do. Haven't you read Proverbs chapter 6? Verses 16 through 19. And I've put it up here for you. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Now, this isn't a complete list. Okay, so don't, don't try to think, oh, that's all? No, oh, no, no, no. Okay? But I'm just trying to point out to you, it's, it's okay. You don't have to try to say, ooh, God, God hates? Yeah, he does. He hates anything that doesn't measure up to his perfection, his holiness. Now, don't get ahead of me. I'm going to get there. I know some of you, what you're thinking. But anyway, there's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, Feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among 
brothers. His hatred for sin is why he sacrificed his son, Jesus Christ. Can you, can you hold on to that? His hatred for sin is why he sacrificed his son, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for those that, are you ready for this, that he hated. Because anything that wasn't seeking after God, any person who's choosing their own way, none of us are good enough. And we're going to see that with David in just a few verses. But he says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While Christ hated sin, he still died for the sinners. While he hated the, the way that sinners turned their back on God and wanted to go their own way, he still loved them enough to, to remove the barrier, to pay the price that not one person could pay on their own. So please just remember, we have to make sure we have a good balance of, of God's love and an understanding of God's holiness. And he does not lower his standard I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of lowering my standard. That doesn't make me right. And that doesn't make you right either. So we aren't doing God any favors when we only focus on his love while ignoring that holiness and we get in trouble when we don't balance his mercy and grace and love with his holiness and with his justice. The third uh, thing I wanted to highlight out of this passage is a description of David. David gives a description of himself in verses 7 through 8. And he says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. So David, he, he enters on in to the Lord's house, but, but check it out. It's not because of anything he did. It's not because he's good. It's not because he's deserving. It's not because he's special. David didn't get entrance into the Lord's house because of those things. He can only enter because of the abundance of God's steadfast love. It's about God, not about David. It's about the abundance that God has. And, and you, you can take it to the next slide, Cindy, and, and just help people to be able to see that. It's only because of the abundance of God's steadfast love that David could enter into the house But here's another description of David. Not only did he enter into the house, but he, he also 
takes a submissive position. He takes a submissive position. Look at the last part of uh, chapter or of verse seven. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. I will bow down. I will make myself prostrate. That's a submissive position. He says, toward your holy temple. And guess what? That word temple that is, is translated here, it, it's really tabernacle. Because the temple wasn't built. But that word can be interchanged for temple or tabernacle. And so it's really, he, he's just going to bow down toward the tabernacle. And, and then we see, in the fear of you. That's reverential awe. He is just like, oh, I, I am only in here because of who you are, your abundant, incredible love, and I know there's nothing I could do to deserve that. It's so humbling. Question. Do you enter on Sunday mornings with the same attitude as David describes when he enters the Lord's house? I just want you to kind of think on that. Because I don't, I don't every Sunday. And the reason why I have to ask that question is because it, it, it hit me so hard in my heart. David is sharing in, in this psalm that, yeah, this is, this is the goal. This is, this is something that I should be doing all the time. And yet, why do I allow the distractions to, to just take me away from my focus of the Lord? Why is there times when I can be thinking about something other instead of singing to him? And yes, that's incredibly important, and we're going to get to that in verse 12. He said, but uh, for me, familiarity, it breeds uh, comfortability. I get comfortable instead of reverential. I get complacent instead of being expectant. Am, uh, am I here because I feel like I'm good enough? No. Or do I come with a sense of awe that, that I will encounter God as I worship him? Another description of David is, is in verse 8 is that he follows the Lord. He follows the Lord. And verse 8, th this is the, the, the content of, of the prayer all the way back in verses 1 through 3 when he says give ear to my words O Lord consider my groaning give attention to the sound of my cry my king and my God and he says for to you do I pray here right here in verse 8 is where he finally gets to the content of what that prayer is Everything before this verse could be considered uh, preliminary. And here's the main point of his prayer. Lead me 
Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. This is David's first actual petition in, in, in this psalm. And it is simply for guidance that God would lead him in righteousness. Number one. And then number two, to make his way straight. To make his way straight. Uh, number four, a description of David's enemies. And I'm not going to take the time to, to dig into those, but we're going to read those verses. Because at the same time, um, you know, his enemies had, had a tremendous impact on how he felt. And I'm not just going to bypass it. And I can tell you this much. I, I've had people in my life that, man, it, it is really, they brought me down. I wish I could say I was strong enough to not let that happen, but they brought me down. And so um, I'm going to read this, verses 9 and 10. It says, For there is no truth in their mouth. Again, these are descriptions of David's enemies. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. And then he goes on. He says, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. You know what he does? He lets God deal with his enemies, just like we're supposed to, right? I mean, isn't that how you and I are supposed to deal with people who, who uh, give us hard times, who we think completely different from? But instead of fighting them, David shows us by an example. He says, God, will you, will you do this? Will you take care of them? And finally, I just want to get to uh, verses 11 and 12. Because this last point, it's a description of the righteous. So verses 11 and 12 say, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Now notice something here, because I think it'd be really easy to pass by. But the prayer and experience of one, that's David, has become the description for all. David, it started about him in the first couple verses. But then as we read this, look at verse 11 and 12 again. Let all, that's plural, take refuge in you. And then here we come with that parallelism again. He uses the word rejoice. And then he says, let them, there's the plural, ever sing for joy. We've got rejoice. We've got some joy going on. And then he says, spread your protection over them. It's, it's so great to see how David starts off and it's, it's, it's about him but how he includes 
the rest, the righteous. It's a great model for us. And he says, and, and those who love your name may exalt in you. Do you see the progression of rejoicing and singing for joy and just exalting in God? That's there on purpose. That's what Hebrew poetry is all about. Sometimes it goes dark. But I love when it crescendos. And it gets us, this is to get us pumped up. It's to remind us of the great things and how we're to respond to a great God. David um, closes the psalm off with a promise. A promise uh, that we frequently forget. And, And look at verse 12. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. The shield was the largest of warrior shields. And so that description is a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, promise because it covered the entire body of the warrior. And David's reminding us that this is the God that he worships. He's a protector. He covers you, even when you might not think he's there. He is. He's got you. So what's the promise? Well, the the promise is that God will bless the one who, who looks to him for protection. That's the promise. How? How? Well, we see it right there. By giving him favor. By providing him a large protective shield. Folks, uh, I don't know where you're at right now with, you know, your uh, emotional state, your spiritual state, your physical state, but uh, I can tell you that God will protect you. But you have to place yourself under a shield. I mean, could you imagine having a shield in battle, but not taking it with you? I can handle it on my own. That'd be foolish. This is a great reminder. It's like, oh man, God's got us covered. But we have to make sure that we're near him. We're in him. And hopefully, by, by gaining a better understanding of all this, that that's going to help uh, our own spirit, but it's also going to manifest itself, not in just our feelings, but in our words. It's going to manifest itself in how we approach God. So I'm going to ask you, just join me in prayer as the worship team gets ready to come on up. And I'm just going to tell you right now, uh, my prayer is that we put into practice verse 11. Father God, I praise you and thank you so much for just this psalm. I thank you for David and what he has shared in his writing.
how you, you inspired him to communicate who you are. And you instructed him and showed him how to approach you and, and what, what we get to receive by being in a relationship with you. God, we bring nothing to the table. And we receive everything. So, Lord, would you help us to truly be able to let that sink in? And as we sing songs to praise you, to give you glory, could you help us to not worry about who's next to us, who's in front of us, who's behind us? Lord, I'm not asking for anybody to to go outside of their comfort zone. I'm just asking for people to feel the freedom to unabashedly give you their best. Lord, I'm so thankful that you, you don't care about how good our voices sound or not. But I know you do care about our hearts. And may our hearts be reflected in how we sing out to you from our joy, from exaltation. Thank you, Lord, for this example that David gave to us. And may we not leave it here uh, this Sunday morning, but take it with us um, for the rest of our day. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.